if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, the beauty of the gospel is that God has saved us. He's freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. He's put us in Christ, who's now our life. So we've gathered together to surrender our lives, to say, our lives are yours, and we're your servants. It's not radical version of Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't call the shots. He calls the shots. The Radical Together Podcast, with teaching from David Platt. Welcome back to another episode of the Radical Together Podcast. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can always get those on iTunes or online at Radical.net. Now today, David is teaching from Genesis chapter 22 in his message entitled, Reap and Pray. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to find Genesis chapter 22. And I want to do something a little different on this particular podcast episode. So picking up where we left off in the last podcast, where we were talking about just a simple guide for reading and studying the Bible using the acrostic REAP, which we'll talk about more again in a second, but to read, examine, apply, and then pray according to a particular text of Scripture. And then even going back a few podcasts before that, and we were talking about prayer and the importance of just daily communion with God. What I want to do is bring these last few podcasts together into thinking about, so what does this look like on a daily basis when Matthew chapter 6, you go in your room and you close the door to spend time with your Father in heaven, with God our Father. So what do you do during that time? And this is nothing flashy. I want to keep this intentionally simple to really think through, okay, when you sit down to spend time with the Lord, you've got the Bible in front of you, What do you do? How do you understand what you're reading? How does what you're reading drive how you're praying? And so what I want to do in this podcast is basically spend, in a sense, a quiet time together. Uh, We did this in the Church of Brook Hills, where I have pastored for the last eight years. And one one Sunday, we almost just had kind of a corporate quiet time where we said, all right, here's what I would do. I just kind of walk through, if I'm reading a chapter of Scripture, how that's going to affect my time with the Lord in the morning. And so I just want to give you a little bit of a glimpse into that in a way that I hope will encourage you when it comes to what happens when you, whether it's in the morning or sometime in the afternoon or sometime in the evening before you go to bed, when you go into your room and you close the door and you're spending time with God. So what does that time look like? And so hopefully give you a little bit of a glimpse into what that time looks like in my own life in a way that I hope will encourage you in the time that maybe you're already spending with the Lord like that, or if you don't have consistent time that you're spending with the Father in heaven like that on a daily basis, that you might be encouraged to do so, and that you might have just a simple guide to help you get started in that time, using these two acrostics, reap and pray. And we've talked about both those over the last few podcasts, so I want to kind of bring them together, and let's almost pretend like, all right, we're sitting down with Genesis 22 in time with the Lord, so what are we going to do? How are we going to commune with God, listen to his word, lift our hearts to him in prayer based on what's in that word. And what do we do in this prayer closet alone with the Father? So what I want to do is is start in just a second. We're going to start by reading the text and think through, you know, we, we talked in the last podcast about the dangers of Bible reading and the temptations there are to read all kinds of things into different texts. You can use the illustration of Genesis chapter 22 when 
Imagine sitting in a small group Bible study and people read a passage like this, which is the story of Abraham and sacrificing his son Isaac and different people saying different things. Well, I think this text means I need to go hiking with my son's son more or other people saying uh, maybe maybe this passage is teaching that we, we should be able to eat animals because God provides a ram for a sacrifice, therefore nobody should be a vegetarian. Or kind of talked about all kinds of wild interpretations of a text like that. So how do we understand it rightly? And then how does it affect the way we pray and commune with God as we're reading this text? So let's let's just start. What I want to do is simply start by reading Genesis 22, and then I want us to use these two acrostics just to help you maybe think through Okay, well, how do I reap and all the reward that is found in God's word, which is what we've talked about in the last couple of podcasts, and then let that drive me to pray according to God's word. So we'll start with Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. We're going to read through the whole chapter. And in fact, let me just let me just start by praying. This is what I do in my time with the Lord and just say, Lord, I want to understand your word. So let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll dive into this text. God... We know that you have given us your spirit inside of us, in part for the purpose of understanding your word, for giving us the supernatural ability to hear these words on a page and to understand them in a way that we could not understand them apart from your spirit. And so we pray that you would Help us even now to understand your word. Even as I'm speaking, help help me to communicate what's here. And help us as, as we listen to it, to understand what you are saying in it, and then to apply it to our lives rightly in a way that not only encourages us with this text, but God, I pray that you use this time to drive us into a deeper desire for communion with you around your word on a daily basis. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Genesis chapter 22, we're going to dive in. I'm The reason I wanted to do this is I'm hopeful that, that we will see together the reward that's found in just, just a, a small period of time between the Bible and prayer, that kind of time with the Lord, and we'll find that this is reward. And quiet time with the Lord on a daily basis is not a matter of duty, but a matter of total delight. So let, let's dive in. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. So I'm just going to read the text. That's the first part of reap. Read. So just read the text. And remember, we're reading. Not Our goal is not just to get it through the chapter as fast as we can because we got to move on to things, but we're reading kind of slowly, thoughtfully. We're picturing, we're imagining what's happening in the text. One of the questions we're going to ask when we get to examine is what's happening in this passage? What words or phrases or ideas seem particularly important? So we're, we're listening for that as we read. So Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. 
I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of God, of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven as the, and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Camuel the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel, Bethuel father Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Makkah. Okay, so we've read the text. That's Genesis chapter 22. So imagine you're spending time with the Lord. You just open up the Word, and now you've read this passage of Scripture, this chapter. So one chapter. Now start. You've read it. Now examine. This is the reap acrostic. Read, examine. So what is happening in this passage? What words, phrases, ideas seem particularly important? So this is where we want to put ourselves in the passage for a minute. Just imagine this scene. So don't just read this, especially if you're familiar with this story. Read it like it's kind of ho-hum, kind of normal, I know how this story goes. But put yourself in the shoes of Abraham or Isaac. Imagine this scene, almost like it's the first time you've ever heard it, which for some of you it may be. So starting from the very beginning, it says, after these things, that's the first verse. Now that clues you in to the fact that there's something that happened before this. There's a variety of things that happened before this. So this chapter doesn't just appear in isolation. Remember what happened before this. If you look back, you find out that up to the, this point in the story, Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren. You may remember, in her 90 years of life, she had not given Abraham one son. God had given Abraham all kinds of promises about descendants but it almost seemed like God had forgotten one important factor. Abraham and Sarah needed to start with just one. 
Abraham himself was about 100 years old. And together they had hoped and hoped for years and years, but nothing had happened. My wife and I went through similar struggles with infertility for years, for about five years. And that was just five years. And we were so disheartened and discouraged and pretty much ready to give up at that point. But here were Abraham and Sarah. She's 90. He's 100. And they've got all these promises that they're going to have all these descendants, but they haven't even had one son. So then God said to them, within a year, you're going to have a baby. So to a 100-year-old man and his 90-year-old wife, he says, you're going to have a baby. And both of them laughed. I mean, you can't blame them. But God was serious. And he did it. When Abraham was 100 years old, Sarah was 90, she gave birth to Isaac, this child of promise that Abraham had hoped for for years. So that's the lead-in. When you realize that picture, it just sets the stage for two of the most startling verses in the Old Testament. Look back at verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham, said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. What is this about? Offer them? There is a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Did God just tell Abraham to sacrifice, to slay the only son of promise? I mean, the emphasis is almost agonizing when you just look at the words here. Take your son, your only son, that son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and do this. Now, many people have heard sermons on this text about Abraham's faith. And for good reason. This was clearly a test of Abraham's faith. We, we hear that in the very beginning of the passage. But this is not just about Abraham, is it? This is a story about a son, Isaac. You, you may have noticed it. You may not have. But if you're looking for important words, see how many times the word son is mentioned in the story that I just read. So if you're in verse 2, He said, take your son. So there's the first time your only son, Isaac. You might circle this or underline it in your Bible or highlight it. If you're looking at this online or on an app or something, take your son, your only son, Isaac. So twice there in verse two. Then in verse three, he took two of his young young men with him and his son, Isaac. So there's a third time. You get down to verse six. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. That's verse six. In verse seven, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. So there it is again. You get down to verse eight. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Verse nine, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son and laid him on the altar. Verse 10, Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Verse 12, when, when God responds and says, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. From now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son. There it is again, your only son from me. You get down to verse 15, or 16. And uh, God says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. So over 11 different times that word son is mentioned. And three of those times it stresses your only son. So this is clearly a story, not just about Abraham's faith, but about Abraham's son. And the whole climax of the story comes in verses 9 and 10, doesn't it? Like You look at the story, every detail is slowed down. They reach the place God had told Abraham about. Abraham builds an altar and arranges the wood that Isaac himself had carried up that mountain. And he bound his son laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. You can just imagine the intensity of this scene. As a dad, it's, it's, I can't even comprehend the intensity of this scene. And we see this repetition of the phrase, your son, your only son, which is mentioned three times. Now that's matched by a threefold repetition of one other phrase. Did you see it? Did you hear it? Did you listen down in verse 8 when the text said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And then down in verse 14, two times, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So the Lord will provide. So this is what we're doing. We're examining the text and we're saying, okay, son mentioned over and over and over again. Your only son mentioned three times for emphasis clearly. And then the Lord will provide mentioned the same amount of times for emphasis. So based upon God's provision of a sacrifice, he will provide. Then what happens in the rest of the passage? God's promises to Abraham just start to flow. So you put all this together and you begin to see what the point is of the text. So again, we're not just saying, okay, what does this mean to me? Or what does this mean to this person or that person? We're asking, what does this passage mean? And clearly, this is not a passage about taking your son hiking or whether or not to be a vegetarian. This is a a text about God providing a sacrifice in the place of someone else who was on an altar to show that he will provide in a way that his promises flow from his provision. David will be back to finish his message in just a moment, but we'd like to take this opportunity and invite you to be a part of an event we call Secret Church. Now, Secret Church is an evening of intense Bible study and prayer for the persecuted church based on time David spent teaching in underground house churches in Asia. This year, David will be teaching on a topic entitled Christ, Culture, and a Call to Action. Now, in David's newest book, Counterculture, he addresses some of the most pressing issues of our day like poverty, same-sex marriage, racism, abortion, and pornography. And at Secret Church, we're going to dive deeper into the Word of God concerning these issues in our culture. David will help us answer the question, how does God's Word affect how we live and respond as individuals and as the church? We want to invite you to join tens of thousands of other believers from around the world for Secret Church on Friday, April 24th. To find out more or to register for the Secret Church simulcast, visit secretchurch.org. Here's David with the rest of today's message. So now, let's go to the next part of REAP. Again, just simply walking through this this acrostic, R, read. Okay, we've read the text. E, examine, just ask questions, just observe different things in the text. Now, now begin to think through, okay, we've, we've looked at details of the text, words, phrases. Now let's ask questions. What does this text teach us about the gospel? Something we talked about in our last podcast episode. How do we begin to view the text through the lens of the gospel, view whatever we're reading through the lens of the gospel. So what does this text teach us about God? Now let's let's think about it. What does this text teach us about God? You can't help but to feel the tension of the text. Why would a loving God command the slaying of an only son? Why would he do that? And the answer is clear. To show that he provides. God commands the slaying of a son. Isaac, the seed of the people of Israel, in order to show Isaac and the people of Israel that he will provide for their salvation. Isn't that the picture we're seeing? Isaac is saved. He doesn't die. Why not? 
Because God provides. Because God provides a ram in the thicket. Don't miss the language back there in verse 13. To be sacrificed as a burnt offering instead of Isaac. So in place of, God is providing a substitute who takes the payment of death instead of Isaac so that Isaac can live. You keep reading in Genesis and you'll realize this is the last time that God speaks to Abraham. And once again, God promises him that his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. They'll bring the blessing of God to all nations. Then Sarah dies in the next chapter. And Abraham dies two chapters after that. But the people of Israel live. Why? Because God provides. Because God is faithful to provide for his people. Specifically faithful to provide a substitute sacrifice. So God takes this command to slay a son and he gives it in order to show his faithfulness to save that son. So what does this text teach us about God? Just bottom line, baseline, clearly it teaches, amidst many other things, it teaches that God is a provider who is faithful to his promises. Then ask the next question. So what does this text teach us about man? These are the questions we looked at last week when it comes to the gospel. What does the text teach about God, man, Christ, about faith, trusting and following Jesus, and about the urgency of eternity? So this is the second question. What does this text teach us about man? Well, certainly in this text we see that man is in need of God's provision. And where would Abraham be? Where would Isaac be without God's provision, without God's promises? So man dependent on the provision and promises of God. And then beyond that, when you put yourselves in the shoes of, of the people in this story, don't, don't you get a sense of the tension in man? So you've got Isaac, this only son, who's asking, Hey, Dad, we've got the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? And from all we can tell, Abraham doesn't know how this is going to unfold, but he knows God will provide. And in that, aren't we seeing a keen reminder that as men and women, we approach any and every situation with a limited perspective. We we don't always know how something is going to play out. I don't know how this or that in my life is going to play out. You don't know how this or that in your life is going to play out. We don't know how the rest of our days will play out. And as a result, we have many times, especially when we're walking through difficult times, some sincere, honest, good questions. But this is one of those things that makes us different from God. For God has unlimited, perfect perspective on any and every situation. He never wonders how this or that is going to play out. This is the difference between who he is and who we are. And so that's, that's again, back to the main point for man. Man here in this text is clearly pictured at the mercy of God and needing provision from God. So that's something we learn about man. And and when I'm spending time with the Lord walking through a text like this, this is where I find it really helpful to write out different things that I'm observing in a text. So yes, it's one thing to think through these things, but to write out. This text is clearly showing that God is the provider for his people. He's faithful to provide for their salvation, to save their lives. And and then I'm writing out, God, I, I need the mercy of God. I'm dependent on the provision of God. Just as Isaac was, just as Abraham was, I need his provision in my life on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. So this is this is man. Okay, so what does this text teach us about God? What does this text teach about man? And third, what does this text, text teach us about who Jesus is and why we need him? So we're looking for texts to understand how they point us to Christ ultimately. Now, 
I want to be clear. I've obviously chosen a passage that presents a clear connection to Christ that we're going to talk about in just a minute. But I'm not saying it'll always be this easy, this clear. Um, at the same time, we know, and this is one of the things we talked about in that podcast last week based on Luke 24, 27 through 32, is that all of scriptures are ultimately pointing us to Christ. And so the larger storyline of the Bible climaxes and centers around Christ. And so we want to think intentionally through when we're reading through the different texts, are, are there are there specific things in this passage that help me in my understanding of, of who Jesus is and why I need Jesus? So coming back to this text then, remember what we, we talked about just a minute ago. God commands the slaying of a son, an only son, to show that he provides for his people's salvation. Now you think about that, and that's storyline in Scripture, because from, from this point on in Scripture, you never see God, one more time, ask for the sacrifice of a son, until you get to John 3.16. And that's where you and I enter the picture. Every single one of us, you and I, guilty of sin before a holy God, standing under the strong and just fury of a holy God. And the penalty is death for our sin, for your sin, my sin, death. And in that sense, the altar is set and the wood is laid and the knife is raised over you and over me. And when we were in need of a substitute sacrifice, of a lamb that is perfect and without blemish, to be slain instead of us. The Bible teaches that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish, but will have everlasting life. Did you hear John 3.16 just in a whole new light? His son, his only son, that repetition in Genesis 22 then comes about there in John 3. He gave his one and only son. In such a way that when you and I lie under the wrath of a holy God deserving death, a voice from heaven resounds, do not lay your hand on him. And in his merciful provision, God takes us off the altar, you off the altar, me off the altar. He puts his son, he puts his only son, he puts Jesus on the altar instead of us. And the father slays Jesus our substitute sacrifice instead of us. The ultimate point of this passage is to help us see our need for God's provision and to realize that God has provided for our salvation through the sacrifice of his son. This story brings all new color and light to the beauty of what Christ has done as the only son of God and a substitute sacrifice for our sins. Which then leads to the question, well, how do I, how do I receive the salvation from God? And the answer is by faith, which is what leads us right to the next question we, we ask when we come to a text. What does this text teach us about trusting and following God? Or what does this text teach us about trusting and following Jesus? And there's no question that this text, although it centers around a son about to be a sacrifice, is highlighting the faith of a father 
a father in Abraham who was who over and over and over again up to this point in Genesis is said to have believed God. Genesis 15, Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And we know that this belief was not just merely intellectual. This was inevitably practical. See how here in Genesis 22, Abraham's belief is put into action. He trusts God, and so he follows God. Even when God calls him to do something, he doesn't understand. Something that doesn't make sense. Abraham trusts God. He believes God. He submits to God. This whole story is just permeated with a quiet submissiveness. Abraham submitting to God. Isaac submitting to Abraham. And even as Isaac carries the wood that's going to fuel the fire of his own sacrifice, you think about the parallels with Jesus carrying the cross on his back and then then what it means for you and I. So make the make, draw the interpretation, the implication here, what it means for you and I to die daily, to pick up our cross and follow God in submissiveness to his will. This is the essence of what it means to follow Christ, to yield to him in every way and everything, knowing that may, we, though we may not understand everything, he will always prove himself trustworthy. He was he will always provide for our deepest needs. And so as we walk with him, we can follow wherever he leads, knowing that he is a faithful provider for us. This is these are things this text teaches about teaches us about trusting and following Jesus. So again, this is a point where I would encourage you to write these things down as the Lord is showing you these kind of things in a passage of scripture. Which then leads to the last question we asked, kind of looking at a text through the lens of the gospel, the urgency of eternity. Does this text teach us anything about the hope of heaven or the horror of hell? And obviously this text doesn't mention heaven or hell specifically, but I always take a passage like this and I think, does this passage contribute in any way to an eternal perspective of life on this earth? And when I think about this text, this promise that God gives Abraham in the end, a promise that's going to far outlive his time on earth. And I realize when you trust in God, you are trusting in a God whose promises never fail. And I mean never. And you're part of an eternal plan that's filled with everlasting promises. And that changes your perspective on what matters today. So then, okay, all of that is just under that E in the reap acrostic examining. What sticks out in the passage? What words, phrases, what's happening? And then asking some good gospel questions. What does this text teach about God and about man and about Christ and about what it means to trust and follow God in Christ and and about the urgency of eternity? Now that then leads to apply. Now you're ready to think. Now what does this passage mean to me? But how does this passage, now you know what it means, how does it apply to my life? You've discovered what the text means. You, you've you written down things, just all these treasures that are all over the text. And then you start to ask questions. And we talked about these last week. Just kind of go back. You start to ask application questions because there's all kinds of possible applications of a text like this to different people's lives and different people's circumstances. Even those who are listening to this, and there's probably multiple applications in each of our lives and different applications for different ones of our lives. So to to begin to think generally, okay, based on this text, what sin or sins do I need to repent of or avoid? You start to think about, I do this in my own life, just walking through this text right now. I think about the numerous ways that I display a lack of trust in God that I need to repent of. I encourage you to think through, are there ways that you are not trusting God? 
situations in which you are not trusting God. And really, when it comes back to it, I mean, this, sin is unbelief. Sin is saying, well, my way is better than your way. I trust my way more than I trust your way. And so to think, what, where am I not trusting God fully? And to repent of that. What sins do I need to repent of and avoid? What truths do I need to believe? So what truths? I mean, we've we just listed all these different truths about who God is and who we are and who Christ is, what it means to trust and follow him, why that matters for eternity. So what truths do you need to believe about God as provider? What promises has God given you in his word that you need to trust in in a fresh way today to stand on amidst turmoil or confusion or maybe questions you're wrestling with in your life? We ask, what what commands do I need to obey? Is there anything I need to give up, stop doing, start doing, or continue doing? Here God commands Abraham in the beginning to take his son and sacrifice him. So is there some command that God is giving to you, to me, that I've yet to obey? So what am I going to do? How am I going to go about obeying it? Maybe it's something small, something you know that God's telling you to do or telling you to stop doing. Or, Or maybe it's something big. And so this text is driving you to think through, okay, what do I need to do to obey? Not, it's not, okay, now, now you're taking this text from, okay, Abraham obeying the father's command to take his son and sacrifice him and then begin to think, now in my life, what has he commanded in his word for me to do and how do I need to respond to that today? What principles need to change the way I think, speak, and act? How am I going to implement that change? This is a great question to ask. So how does reading and understanding this text text affect the way that you and I think and speak and act today. So how does a posture of faith in God's provision or obedience to God's commands or trust in God's promises, how is that going to affect your day, moment-by-moment life today? You think about a principle from this text. As God calls us to take steps of obedience, he will prove himself faithful to provide through every one of those steps. So so doesn't that principle change the confidence we have in obeying God today? We can say, yes, I want to obey today. God, help me to obey today and help me to trust in your provision every step of the way. Then to think, there's other questions we, we looked at last podcast. What relationships do I need to establish, strengthen, or change So God begins to take his word and we're asking that question and we're starting to think through how does this, how do these truths affect the way I'm relating to the people around me at home or at work in my neighborhood, wherever it may be. That's why we've got to ask the question ultimately by the power of God's spirit, what can I do today to apply this word to my life? And, and so this is where I want to encourage you to to seriously think through, once you've read through the passage, a passage of scripture, understood what it says, seen the truths of God's word, don't just, in a James 1 way, don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Act on it. Read, examine, apply. And then the fourth letter in that acrostic, the reap acrostic, is pray. So that again takes us to what we've talked about a few different podcasts ago. So to spend time praising God, P, worshiping God for who he is. I mean, you just think about how word, study the word, and prayer go hand in hand. So you read Genesis 22, and then 
Oh, you just start overflowing with praise to God for all the ways he has provided for you. So to stop, remember, we're not just trying to get through this as fast as we can. So to stop along the way as you're seeing God as provider. And now to, to say, God, I praise you for all these ways you've provided in my life. And this way and that way, you just start to list them out. You start to thank God. And ultimately for his provision and salvation. And providing a substitute sacrifice to cover over our sins, to help us, to, to enable us to live. And then to think based on that so many other ways. And you're worshiping God, you're praising God based on this text. So P, praise. R, repent. Confess your sin to God and acknowledge your need for Jesus. So again, you go back to this application. You say, okay, I need to specifically confess ways I've not trusted in him. Ways I'm not trusting him in, in him now. And once again, you're expressing your need for Christ to forgive you, to give you everything you need to trust. God, help me to trust you. God, help my unbelief. So confess your sin to God. Acknowledge your need for Jesus. That leads you to ask, P-R-A-Y, ask, intercede for particular needs in your life and in others' lives. Again, we talked a few weeks ago about how to do that intentionally in in your life, in spontaneous ways, based on what you've read, and in intentional ways as you pray for certain people and things in your life and others' lives. But but just think, who are people in my life that I know that that are struggling to trust in God? How can you intercede on their behalf? Or people in your life in in in, uh, in your life in your sphere of influence who need to see God as provider in this way or that way. And so to begin to pray for them to see God as provider in this way or that way, or just to be overwhelmed by this, the grace of God and providing a substitute sacrifice and to begin interceding for people you know who don't know Christ and calling out for them to, to have the openness to the fact that God loves them. God opened their hearts to, to your love for them in Christ who's paid the price for their sins. So begin intercede for the lost. And as you're doing that, you're praying for boldness to share this good news with them. So you see how intercession just flows from studying the Bible. Praise, repent, ask, and then why yield? Surrender your life to following Jesus wherever and however he leads you. I, I, I read Genesis 22, and I see one other phrase repeated over and over again throughout the chapter, and it's, Lord, here I am. That's what Abraham says over and over and over again. Here I am. Here I am. And so I can't help but to read a chapter like this and just pray the same thing. Lord, here I am. My, my life is yours. And then maybe you pray through the details of your day. You just ask God to lead you and guide your steps according to his will and to help you to trust you in every step and, and asking him to provide for you in every step. And, and isn't this the, the, the beauty of God's promises? If we can trust him to provide for our eternal salvation, then we can trust him to provide for our everyday needs. So we yield our lives to him. And in this picture, reap and pray. Read, examine, apply, pray. Praise God. Repent. Ask and yield. I hope just a simple guide to time with the Lord, that when you do that with chapter after chapter after chapter, so just to, just to spend time in the morning, afternoon, sometime before you go to bed at night, alone with the Father, open up the passage of Scripture, read it, examine it, apply it, and pray according to it, you will find that there is treasure, delight to be found 
in time with God, in prayer, and in the Word on a daily basis in such a way that you will be drawn to it, that you will realize you can't live without this kind of time with Him. All the busyness in our lives begins to fade away because we realize this is more important than anything else we've got going on, and this affects everything else we've got going on. So let, let me encourage you. I know that many people who are listening to this may have just consistent, good time with the Lord like this in the Word and in prayer on a daily basis, and I hope this just encourages you to continue doing that. At the same time, if, if you don't have that kind of time, or if you have uh, grown lax in that kind of time, or even if that time has begun to look more like duty and less like delight, let me encourage you to let this podcast just be a refreshing reminder that there is reward to be found in time alone with the God of the universe that he has designed for you. So let me exhort you to take full advantage of it, to take God at his word and believe that when you go into the room alone with your father, close the door, pray to your father who's in secret, then your father who's in secret, when your father sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to you. And if you'd like more information on David's latest book, Counterculture, visit counterculturebook.com. Additional resources from David's ministry can be found at Radical.net. There you can find sermons, secret church resources, and more. And if you'd like to learn more about the International Mission Board, you can do that by visiting imb.org. As always, we're glad you tuned in. Join us next time for more teaching from David right here on the Radical Together podcast.